Hey men, my name is Mace, and I serve as the Men's Discipleship Coordinator here at FaithBridge. FaithBridge Men exists to create a movement among men in our church and our community where men can experience the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, develop authentic community with other men, and live a life of eternal significance. Our theme for the entire spring season is fight the good fight. Life is tough. It's a battle. Temptation and trial are around every corner. But on our deathbed, we want to be able to look our loved ones in the eye and say, like the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. We want to be men who fight the good fight, men who believe the true gospel and are being transformed by the gospel. This episode comes from session six, the final session of our men's study on the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. But don't worry, we will still have more interviews to come with men of Faithbridge who are fighting the good fight. And we have our first ever FaithBridge Men's Breakfast on Saturday, April 30th. But for now, we conclude our First Timothy study seeing how false gospels promise your best life now, but the true gospel promises your best life later. Until then, keep fighting the good fight. So I've been recently working on getting back into running. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I say that as if I was ever into running in the first place. Uh, but I'm trying. I'm working on getting into running, and it's uh, it's going. It's going. And uh, I, I use this app that has a coach that that speaks in your ear, giving you words of wisdom and tips and encouragement. And one of the things he's constantly harping on is during the warm up or on a recovery run. He's constantly saying, run easy, run easy. And the problem is, because my body's not conditioned to it yet, I I don't have an easy gear yet. My my calves and my thighs and my glutes are pretty much burning from start to finish. But here's the thing. No matter what, no matter how short or long the run was, no matter how slow or fast it was, no matter how hard or hard it was, it's always worth it. And I think that's a good analogy for the Christian life. When the author of the letter to the Hebrews was uh, writing to these persecuted Jewish Christians, he said, let us run uh, the race set before us with endurance. And that word race in the Greek is agon, from which we get the word agony. And so I think um, the idea there is that the Christian life is a struggle. It's a challenge. It's a fight. And we're here because we want to be men who fight the good fight. We want to be men who fight well till the end, till that final bell rings. How do we do that? Well, tonight, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're coming to the end of our letter. We're coming to the end of our our six weeks together. And as we look at 1 Timothy 6, we're going to see the secret to fighting to the end. And that secret is to fight for your best life later. So let's start by reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, which is actually a continuation of what Paul was talking about in chapter 5 of, of treating believers like family. 1 Timothy 6, 
starting in verse 1. All who are under a yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God in our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. And so uh, these verses make us feel a bit uncomfortable, right? And in fact, many people would point to verses like this and say this is why they reject Christianity altogether because Christianity is wicked and oppressive because we, and rightly so, have a lot of negative connotation that comes with this word slaves, right? Because our minds immediately go back to the transatlantic slave trade of the 16th through 19th century where men and women and children were ripped from their, their countries of origin and treated like property instead of people simply because of the color of their skin. But we have to remember that Paul is not writing in that context. He's writing in first century Rome. And while I don't want to sugarcoat what slavery was like in that context, it does differ from the transatlantic slave trade that comes to our mind in some pretty significant ways. So a few key points from an article by New Testament scholar Daniel Wallace on Bible.org titled, Some Initial Reflections on Slavery in the New Testament. First, about two-thirds of the Roman population was slaves. And so it was just a, a common... Um, status in Paul's day and in that context. It was just a part of the way the world worked in that time. Second, and, and I think even more importantly, we have to be clear that the slavery in first century Rome was not race-based. It was not based on the color of someone's skin. That there was two primary reasons why someone would become a slave in first century Rome. One would be if they were conquered by the Romans and now all their land and things belong to the Romans, and so they would become slaves. But then also, people would often sell themselves into slavery as a way of paying off debt in a form of what we would most closely relate to as indentured servitude. And uh, it's critical to realize that opposed to the slavery that we think of, slaves were treated like people, not property, in first century Rome. And according to Wallace, slaves could marry, accumulate wealth, purchase their own freedom, and even run a business. And so what is Paul's exhortation to these slaves? He says, to respect, honor, and serve your masters. Now here's the thing. That exhortation that slaves should honor, respect, and serve their masters would have been utterly uncontroversial in his day. But the difference is that the motivation that Paul gives these slaves would have been radically different from the world around it. So it would be like me standing up in here saying, men should work hard. It's totally not controversial in our culture today, right? However, the reason why the men in this room should work hard is totally different than the reasons that the world will give. The world says you need to work hard because it's by working hard and moving up the corporate ladder and making lots of money that that's how you prove your value and your worth. 
and that by making lots of money, you can buy lots of things and comforts, things that will make you happy. However, godly motivation for working hard would be that work was part of God's plan all the way from the beginning. We work hard because we want to be good stewards of the time and the energy and the talents and the resources that God has given us. And we should work hard ultimately because we work for the Lord and not for men. So men working hard would be totally uncontroversial, but the godly motivations for hard work could not be more different than the worldly motivations for hard work. And so the same is true as Paul is speaking to these slaves. He gives these slaves two godly motivations for honoring and respecting and serving their masters. He says, first, if your master is an unbeliever, you honor and respect and serve them for the sake of God and for the sake of the gospel. That their work was part of their witness to their unbelieving masters. And then number two, he says, if your masters are believers, you honor and respect and you serve them because they are your family. They are your brothers in Christ. And so you love them, you serve them, and you honor them. Now, as far as I know, and certainly as much as I hope, no one in here is a slave, but the principle that we can apply is this. That if you want to be a man who fights the good fight, you need to fight to honor those in authority. We need to honor and respect and serve those who are in authority over us. For most of us, that would include our bosses at work. And for all of us, as we've talked about in previous sessions of the study, that would include governmental officials, and that would include the elders and the pastors of our church. And so what should we do? We should honor them. We should respect them. We should serve them. If they're a believer, you respect and you honor and you serve them because they're a brother or sister in Christ. And if they're a non-believer, you honor and respect and you serve them because your work is part of your witness. Because you can't mouth off to your boss in one sentence and then try to share the gospel with them the next And so you honor, you respect, and you serve them. And it may be hard. It probably will be. And and, and and for sure, in some cases, I'm, I'm sure that it's unbelievably hard. But the reason you can respect and honor and serve those in authority when and not if it's hard is because no matter what your current circumstances, your best life is later. And this theme of contentment in your current circumstances is one that Paul continues with next, starting in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godly and godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, of which, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. 
But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we had food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And so Paul returns again to the reason that he wrote this entire letter, these false teacher, teachers that are plaguing the church of Ephesus. And once again, he calls them out for their wrong beliefs and these wrong beliefs that lead them to wrong behavior. So specifically, he calls them lovers of money. In verse five, he says, they suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. Remember, these teachers are legalistic, pharisaical Jews. So they, the basic doctrine that they are teaching is obey God and he will bless you, by which they mean that you will be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. In other words, these false teachers teach your best life now. But the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that your best life is later when all those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, are resurrected to eternal life on a new and perfect earth. And so he tells Timothy, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life with which, to which you were called. In verse 14, he says, keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your best life is later when Christ appears, when you are resurrected on a new earth. And so what do we do for now? We fight for contentment. In verse eight, Paul said, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. 
How convicting. How, how, how challenging. Do you have food? Do you have clothing? Do you have shelter? Then be content. We live in the richest time in world history, but we are also living in the most discontent time in world history. And, and let me be clear. If you are in this room, you are rich. I am rich. According to one website I found, a family of four in the United States making $50,000 a year post-tax puts them nearly in the top 10% worldwide as far as wealth. Or think of uh, one of the richest men in our sacred scripture, King Solomon, the richest man in the known world. Solomon didn't have AC. He didn't have a car. He didn't have an iPhone. We're rich. And Paul's words to the rich in verses 17 and 19 are, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So having things isn't bad. They're, they're good gifts to be enjoyed. But that's not our hope. Instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Your best life is later, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed, eternal life and the resurrection on a new and perfect earth. So for now, be rich in good works, be generous, share with those in need, and devote yourself to the most important work that we can give ourselves to. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, the final concluding verses of the letter. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. And so Paul's closing exhortation to Timothy is guard what has been entrusted to you. In other words, the gospel, the true gospel, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Guard the apostolic doctrine taught to you. Pass along the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You never graduate from the gospel. We have to preach and teach and believe the gospel afresh every single day. And as our hearts are transformed by this gospel, it should overflow in good works, including the most important work, which is sharing this good news with anyone and everyone around us who will listen. In other words, if you want to fight the good fight, and if you want to fight to the end, you have to fight for the gospel of grace. And so preach the gospel to yourself every day, taking advantage of the habits of grace that we've talked about throughout this study. Read the scriptures, the words of the apostles and prophets every day. Get it into your mind and let it move from your mind down into your heart. 
gather week in and week out with your brothers and sisters in Christ in worship, singing the gospel and sitting under the preaching of the gospel. And get a community of godly men around you. Men who will encourage you, who will preach the gospel to you. And as your, your life and your heart is transformed by this gospel, look for opportunities to share it with others. So let me encourage two practices to you. Number one, I want you to write down the names of five people, what my friend likes to call your five people far from God. So these are our five people in your family or in your neighborhood or in your workplace who don't know the Lord. And just because they go to church, that doesn't mean anything. Do you know their story? Do, do they truly know the gospel? Have you gotten to know them at a deep level where you have heard their faith story and their understanding of the gospel? So write down the, your names of, of your five people far from God. And then the second practice that I want to commend to you is from a pastor named Dave Ferguson in the Chicago area, and it's uh, summarized by the acronym BLESS. So B, begin with prayer. So take your, your five far from God and pray for them every day that God would open their heart to the gospel and that, that God would give you personally opportunities to share the gospel with them. Write their names on a note card and use it as the bookmark in your Bible. Or set a reminder in your phone for 620, based on 1 Timothy 620, as a reminder to yourself to, to guard what was entrusted to you, to fight for the gospel of grace, and to look for opportunities to share. So if you want to share the gospel, if you want to live on mission, if you want to fight the good fight, if you want to fight for the gospel of grace, Begin with prayer. And then the L stands for listen. Francis Schaeffer said that if he had an hour with someone to share the gospel with them, he would spend the first 55 minutes listening. Because then and only then, for the last five minutes, would he have something meaningful to say. I think we would all agree that in this day, people have no shortage of things to say but do we have something meaningful to say? Are we listening before we speak? And so take your five far from God and get to know them and truly listen to them. And one of the best ways you can do that is, is the third letter, E. This is my favorite one, because it stands for eat. So it's amazing what, what happens. I, I think there's something supernatural that happens when, when we share a meal with someone, that the walls start to break down. So take your five far from God and invite them into your home for dinner. Invite them out to lunch on your lunch break at work. Invite them out to breakfast on a Saturday morning. And as you do, listen. And as you listen, then you'll be able to get to the, the first S, which is serve. As you're, you're getting to know people, as you're eating with them, and as you're listening to them, you're going to get to know their needs, their hurts, their pains. And as you see a need, 
move in to meet the need. So maybe that, that looks like bringing a meal over to their house. Maybe that looks like helping them with that, that home project that they need to get done. Or maybe that looks like babysitting their kids so he and his wife can go on a much-needed date night. See a need, meet the need, serve them. And as you eat with people, as you listen to them, as you serve them, you're gonna get an opportunity for the final S, which is story. That when the Lord presents an opportunity, you tell them the great story of this God who made them, who loved them, this God who came for them, who died for them, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So guard the gospel that has been entrusted to you. Pray for your five far from God every day. Eat with them, listen to them, serve them. And as God provides opportunity, share the gospel story with them. As we um, begin to wrap things up, I have two final questions for you. First one is, What's your one thing? Well, I've, I hope you have, have learned a lot over these last six weeks and had lots of great insights over your discussions and the teaching and your reading. It is impossible to remember everything. So if you were to forget everything else that you've learned over these last six weeks, what is that one thing that you never wanna forget? What is that one thing that you wanna carry with you every day for the rest of your life? What is that, that one thing that's gonna make a difference in your life from here until you take your final breath? I want you to figure out what that one thing is. I want you to share it with your group tonight. And then my second question to you, as David mentioned in his introduction, while this particular study is coming to a conclusion, the fight's not over yet. How are you going to continue to fight the good fight? And as I've tried to do over the course of this study, I wanna present a couple low-hanging fruit opportunities to you, reiterating what David told us earlier. First, we have our men's breakfast coming up on April 30th at 7 a.m. Those of you that have been to our Shop Talk events, it's gonna be very similar. We're gonna have breakfast tacos and coffee. We're gonna hear stories of men who are fighting the good fight and whose lives are being transformed by the gospel. We're gonna hear um, a, an inspiring word to encourage us as we continue on in the fight. And we're gonna get opportunity to build community with more men at Faithbridge, more men who are in the fight. So uh, we have a slide with a QR code. Um, so make sure you get registered for that breakfast and make sure that you pass that along to someone else. Maybe one of your five far from God that the, the men's breakfast uh, will be a first uh, step for them. Can we get that QR code? up on the screen. We'll get it later, that's okay. The second uh, low-hanging fruit for you is uh, to get in a grow group. So um, I already know of a couple of tables that have joined us these last six weeks that are just gonna keep meeting on in a home for the rest of the semester. I think that's awesome. I, have an, I know of another group where the, the leaders have a group, a men's group that meets on another night and they're gonna fold their group into to that group. I would love to hear more stories like that. So if you're not in a grow group, get in one. 
If you are, invite the other men at your table to join you. And if you're not sure where to start, um, later tonight, um, we'll get a slide up there with a QR code that takes you to our group finder where you can look at all of our open and available groups and find one that meets on a day that works for you and a part of town that works for you. Um, and uh, whether you're looking for a men's group for yourself or you're looking for a mixed group maybe for you and your wife. Because the reality is we need one another. We're family. We're brothers. And the only way we can continue to fight the good fight is together. Encouraging one another. Reminding one another that no matter how things are, hard things are in this life, your best life is later. When you are resurrected to eternal life on a new in perfect earth. So keep fighting. Fight the good fight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even when life is hard, which it will be, many of us are are intimately attuned with the pains of this life right now. And those of us who are maybe going through a good season right now, we know that those don't last forever. This world is broken and it's fallen. But while we, we weep, and we weep with our brothers and sisters who weep, when the challenges of this life rear their ugly head, we know that simultaneously we can have hope, Lord. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Yes, that means, Lord, that we have been forgiven, but it means so much more than that, Lord. That yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but on the third day, he rose again. And Jesus' resurrection is a preview and a promise of our future resurrection. When Christ returns, Lord, we will be raised to new life, to eternal life on a new and perfect world with you forever. And so we look to it with hope. I think of um, even the events of recent days, Lord, um, when a mentor to one of my mentors, Dr. Charles Bayless, passed away on Sunday, Lord, that we grieve, but we don't grieve as those without hope, Lord. Because as Dr. Bayless was, was faithful to teach, Lord, our best life is never now. Our best life is later. And so we look forward to the resurrection, Lord. We look forward to it with hope. We look forward to it with endurance. And so as we wait for that day, Lord, help us fight to honor those in authority over us, even when they are unkind or uncharitable towards us. Help us fight for contentment, remembering all the things that you have given us, Lord, and all that we will be given. 
and help us fight for the gospel of grace. Help us preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another day in and day out, week in and week out. And as we do, Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out and that you would give us opportunity to share this good news, this gospel of grace, this gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this gospel of resurrection, Lord. Give us opportunity and boldness and courage to share it with all those around us who are far from God or who need a word of hope and encouragement. Help us fight the good fight, Lord. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Faith Bridge Men podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and help us spread the good news by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing this episode with another man who would be helped by the content. And we will catch you next time on the Faith Bridge Men podcast. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.